Welcome everyone to Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I am one of your hosts, one of the three, Peter Madrigal. You may know me from Vanderpump Rules and from my own little live videos that I do every day. But this podcast is all about movies, how I'm passionate about movies, and who I'm passionate about movies with. Hey guys, I'm Rob Federick, and I am a director of films, commercials, music videos, and many more things. And But first and foremost, I am a passionate, passionate movie lover. So it is a pleasure to be amongst all of you guys right now reviewing the movies we love. Yeah, and I'm Rob Schulte, podcast producer, events producer. I just produce things. Uh, and I'm so excited to be talking about movies as well, guys. It's one of my favorite things to do in the world. And here we are. What are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the movie... One of my favorite films, actually, one a movie that I'm very passionate about, I love, uh, Gladiator, winner of 2000's Best Picture Award. The Millennial wow. Winner. The wow. Millennial Winner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually, okay, so today, big, big, um, big reveal here, guys. One of the reasons why I want to do this movie, I saw this movie five times in theaters. I kept on going back over and over and over again to watch this film. Now, um, one of the reasons why I really want to do this is because a number one, there's not a lot of podcasts or reviews about gladiator itself and none that I've seen. And some of them that, well, actually that I'll take that back. Some of the ones that I've seen, the little excerpts about this movie criticize it to the fullest extent. I mean, they just like a lot of people, a lot of critics criticize this movie as being terrible and it shouldn't have won the best picture, which I totally disagree with. And one of their, one of their excuses is, Oh, it's not historically accurate. And I'm like, well, hold on. I don't go to a movie <laughs> to be to, to, to be taught a lesson. I go to a movie <laughs> to be entertained. It's a big difference. Also, something that's thousands of years old, right? <laughs> you know, right? hundreds of you know, like I'm no professor, but it feels like there might be some gray areas that you can just overlook when being entertained. Bingo. I I'm going to be fully honest with you guys. So two things. One, like my favorite movie of all time is Braveheart, right? Woo! And Braveheart mm. is hailed at, you know, won 1995, five years before it won like all like five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. And everybody criticizes that movie for not being historically accurate. Taking liberties. But it's a movie that speaks to you as a movie, which I think Gladiator does the same way. Although I will say Gladiator does capture Rome in a way that I've never seen before. But in all honesty, guys, I actually did not like this movie the first time I saw it. Wow. Really? This is a first here on Madrigal at the Movies. I with Robin Rob. did what are the not Rob like Gladiator. Wow. Now I've grown to like it since. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you always like to ask when we first saw it. Um, yes. Now I want to ask you, when did you first see it if you didn't like it? So... Like I said, I, Braveheart being one of my favorite movies, my dad also really enjoyed Braveheart, right? Like it really, it was a movie that spoke to us. So when we saw the the trailers for Gladiator, it was sort of being marketed as the next Braveheart and we were really excited about it and we decided to go to the movies, the same theater that I saw The Matrix in that we talked about last Bingo. week. And we sat through it and we watched it in 1999 when it came out. And I remember that we uh, were very excited, but we walked out of there with kind of mixed emotions about it. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll dive into those a little bit later because, like I said, I've grown to like the film a lot more. But mm -hmm. initially, 
I I just was kind of let down. What didn't you like about it? I mean, just like like off the top of your head, what was the, the, the your one gripe at walking out of that theater? I think for me it was that, and I'm, I don't know if this is going to sound weird because Braveheart is a long movie as well, but I think that the pacing for me of Gladiator was a little slow, number one. And number two, I was not a fan. I, Braveheart's battle scenes were so innovative for the time, right? They kind of changed how battles are captured in movie history. And then Gladiator did this, implemented another uh, kind of new gimmick, which was the camera shake. And I yeah, think I wanted they, to ask you about that. Yeah, I think they did it. They overdid it in this movie, to my extent, when I was watching it on a big screen, and it was jarring to me. Where I was like, "What the fuck is going on? I don't know." Like, I couldn't <laughs> really follow what was going. And then there were moments that I liked, but then there were moments that I was like, "This was slow." And honestly, this is a testament to Joaquin Phoenix's performance. I despised this guy. Yep. Oh, so, yeah. So I think part of it was like I walked out of there with a bitter taste in my mouth, but really is because. He did his job. As, he as really a- did. Well, I, I want to get into Joaquin uh, Phoenix's performance as well. But uh, Rob, what did you? Uh, wh- when did you see the movie? Um, I didn't get to see this in theaters, but my dad and I bought this on DVD as it was one of our first DVDs for the home, um, and we watched it at home. My dad was very proud of his home theater sound system, as wow. most dads are. Oh and- yeah. <laughs> and that was like, you know, the couch rumbled and it just felt like the first time I saw a film at home, not just turned on a movie and kicked back and relaxed. It felt like an event. So I think that probably ties into like my connection and loving the movie so much, even, you know, warts and all, but like it was just one of those moments where it's like, this is technology and movie and I'm an adult and I'm watching something, you know, powerful, you know, I'm still in high school or junior high or whatever. But yeah. How about you, Peter? I, like I said, I saw this movie five times in theaters, five times. (laughs) Let's make a record that this is Peter's favorite movie. So (laughs) I really want to hear his story. It's one of my favorite movies, but yeah, I I love this film a lot. I mean, it's just, I I was obsessed with this when I was, when I was younger and even today, like rewatching it, uh, and we'll get into it, but I, I really, really liked it. But, um, um, it, it not just stems from like the the battle scenes for me. I love the battle scene, but the performances and Joaquin Phoenix's character from like for instance Maximus, he plays it straight. You know what I mean? Like one of the thing, one of my gripes was um, he won Best Actor. Okay, for this for this performance, but it should have been this year. It should have been Denzel Washington for the Hurricane, and then the next year it should have been oh, uh, yeah. Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind. But instead, it went to Russell Crowe, which eh, and then and then Denzel with uh, Training Day, which was eh. You know what I mean? It should have been switched yeah. around. Do you see what I mean? Do you guys want to hear something yeah. funny about about the actor? Actually, about Russell Crowe. Yeah, let's hear it. So, oh, please, there are rumors that are adamantly denied by Ridley Scott, but I think it's kind of like <laughs> a thing that Mel Gibson initially was approached by the studio to play Maximus, and he turned it down. He did, yeah, and that. Ridley always argues that Russell Crowe was his first choice. However, I have also heard that Russell hated the script and that he actually- Oh, yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, and that he actually went up to the writer and he said he hated his lines so much that he was like, I hate these lines so much, but luckily 
I'm the greatest actor in the world and I can make it better. <laughs> Yet he didn't ad lib certain lines that he said were trash because he couldn't think of anything better, which is kind of interesting to me. So, well, yeah, uh, Mel Gibson was um, was uh, the Patriot that year, so he couldn't That's do right. it. Yeah, he was playing the Patriot. Oh, pa- good another- lord. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, guys! So, I gotta say, you know, on that on that tip though, did you know that uh, uh, did you know that Russell Crowe came up with strength and honor? Oh really? wow! That did he really? Yeah, he improved that line, and I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, he improved what we do in life echoes in eternity. Wow! Like, how do you how do you the, do that? I but love like, that moment. But before we get into the movie, um, is it a punchable movie? Well, I think that most... I'm going to switch it up this time and say, if you haven't seen this movie, you should maybe tear out like a good chunk of your hair. You know what I mean? Like, just because... Cut your bangs. I'm saying rip it right out, Rob. (laughs) Okay. You know, just endure the pain a little bit. And then when it heals, uh, go go see Gladiator, which by healing, by the way, Russell Crowe got injured in this movie multiple times. In fact... There are injuries that you think are makeup in the movie, and they're actual injuries of his. So, oh my god! Uh, maybe he punched himself in the face. For he the probably script. did. He so he punched <laughs> himself in the face before he finished this film. That is amazing. Guys, let's let's um let's actually get into this, guys. Well, you know, I did find a VHS box. Oh, you did. Okay. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes, read, yes. Yeah. read it. So the back of this VHS box goes as follows, and it's. You know, it might be different than the DVD box because they came out at the same time. I didn't do that research, okay? But the VHS box says, The general who became a slave. The slave who became a gladiator. The gladiator who defied an empire. Discover the unparalleled power and glory of Gladiator. A sizzling culmination of vivid action. Extraordinary storytelling that critics called a stunning, explosive, and heartbreaking epic. See, now there's the thing. They don't really tell you much except for those first three lines. And, you know, that would sell me on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boom. But you know what? <laughs> I mean, I'm sold. I'm just like, okay. Because here's the thing. I'm a big Roman history buff, and uh, I know that this movie is kind of historically inaccurate, but I still love it. But uh, yeah. the what got me in this DVD, uh, this VHS background is the sizzling comment. Uh, oh, wow, sizzling, <laughs> sizzling. Would you describe Peter? Uh, would you describe Gladiator as a sizzling epic? Actually, no, I wouldn't. No, it's an <laughs> epic. You throw but it on the grill. Sizzling. I would not call it a sizzling. It's not a, something that I. It's not a burger. It's Can we throw hamburger. in a, a sizzling sound effect just to just to spice it up a little bit here? <laughs> yeah, uh, right here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so guys in previous episodes we've kind of gone scene by scene and moment by moment and we get really excited and talking about it and there's nothing wrong with that at all but this is such a sweeping epic we all kind of had the idea to go like to break it into chunks and i think the best way to do that would be like from the back of that vhs box the general the slave the gladiator the defiance of the emperor what do you think? Well, let, I, I totally agree with you. And let's get into it. Um, so yeah. we open up in Germania with Maximus Decimus Meridius, who is the um, who is the general of the Felix Legions over there in Germania, and they're they're encroaching in onto um, 
onto a German tribe. Now, like the opening crawl is, by the way, the opening of this movie, I really like the 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 gold that they that they did for DreamWorks and sets Universal. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Yeah. It really did set the tone. And then the opening with the um, hand over the wheat, it's like, um, I don't know, it's ethereal yes. a little bit. That is a moment in history for filmmaking. Like those shots are, that is an iconic shot. Yes, it is. For that moment. Agreed. You know, like that, anybody sees the hand through the wheat, you automatically know that's Gladiator. Gladiator. Yes. And I, uh, that's a testament to Ridley Scott who directed this movie. So- You uh, should have won Best Director. Man. He didn't. He won. They just won Best Picture. He did not win Best Director for this film. And, and, and well, he has not been nominated for Best Director since- because him and the Holy shit. him and the uh, Academy got into a tiff about it, and he was all like, "How can you win Best Picture and not win Best Director?" Well, guys, one of these days we're going to have the reboots of the Academy Awards, and we'll see who really wins. <laughs> well, Sam, Sam Mendes got it that year for American Beauty, which I think we're going to have to review at some point. We will too. have to review that. Yes, because um, it's a great film. Yeah, but I, I, we'll, we'll have to get into an Oscar debate one day in this podcast. But like. Yes, I do agree that a lot of the times movie best picture should have the best director, but that sometimes is a tough thing sell because sometimes it's not the director. In my even though I am a director, I don't think the director sometimes makes the movie one hundred. There are movies that like were directed poorly, but the actors shown mm -hmm. or or just the script in in general. True, but, Rob, but I'm going to contradict you there a little bit because you said a credit to Ridley Scott was the wheat, the hand on the wheat. True. True. That True. was Ridley Scott. True. He had a huge hand, a, a, a huge hand on the week. So did Russell Crowe. Unintended. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing that uh, another, the, the first shot, the wheat, the second shot, the, it, it, Maximus looking at the bird. Now, what does that symbolize? I mean, to me, it's like, oh, he wants to get, a, he, he envies the bird a little bit and wants to fly away from this whole situation. Well, I do think that especially everything that's like charred around the bird is like this is life in a dead area and that definitely mirrors like Maximus in that moment. Yes, it does. It really does. We, uh, afterwards, we're introduced to the Roman armies and they're getting ready and then of course like yeah, Maximus comes up with that, uh, Russell Crowe comes up with that um, comes up with that iconic line, strength and honor, right? And so they, the, his mm -hmm. generals all say it to each other and then he rides off to um to flank the Germans with the cavalry. Now, um, once they once once they unleash hell. Once first, well, let's back up a little <laughs> bit. Uh, he gives okay, this iconic okay. speech. You know, like, uh, uh, do not be troubled for you are an Elysium and you're already dead. Um, that to me, it, it always got me in the sense that um, don't be scared, don't be afraid to to take the next step, or don't be afraid of death, or don't be afraid just to just to you know go forward in life. That's what that that's what that yes. spoke to me. I'm starting to sense a, a trend here that this movie spoke to you more on a on a spiritual level in a lot of ways. Like you you you're you're really basing. You, I see that you you trend a lot of the symbology of this movie, which is kind yes. Of, that's that's cool. I, I like. Mean, and the shots are great. I mean, like here's the thing: once they start unleashing hell on the Germans. And uh, and they start like throwing you know catapults and and then you had that sweeping shot of the of the infantry moving forward into the uh, into the battle. I mean that that always got me. But but the symbology of this movie is what really got me as a kid. Like you know just the speech and the, uh, the bird, the speech, the wheat. You know it it really really th those few opening moments really got me as a as a as a young adolescent. 
I can totally believe it. There's a lot to connect with here as like a person growing up and figuring out, and you know, a lot of pressures of life to be like the strong person, to be cool and to be all of these things exactly. that you like see representative here. Also a person who's that and determined and a leader and like, and thoughtful and a little like, um, yeah, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, he cares about his men. You know what I mean? He's not just strong and rah, 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 but he's also like, look, don't panic, stay confident, stay with me, hold the line. And uh, and I'm gonna bring you out of this, and everything's gonna be okay. I want to I want to know what your take is on the the whole loyalty of the army thing, because I I have a gripe with this movie at one point, but because uh, Maximus obviously like this is a great introduction. Again, we talked about character introductions in a lot of our podcasts, and I think this is a great this is Maximus's world. This is his setup. This is a guy who's a veteran fighter warrior who's been commanding the legions of Rome. He holds the loyalty of the men, and he's facing what seems to be kind of an apocalyptic sort of battle. That, that guy comes out and he's like, it took Fahuka or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and he like yeah, throws yeah. that <laughs> shit. Yes. And like it just establishes. Sounds like Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> Zagat from Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we're, since we're breaking it down by moments, right? So like we're in that battle or whatever and he commands the, the he, get, he has the loyalty of the army, right? So then when Commodus kills Marcus Aurelius and... Maximus sniffs out a rat, right? Mm -hmm. Why does his army turn on him so quickly? They apprehend him. They I have the answer. Quintus, Quintus is like, you know, like your your family will meet you in the afterlife or whatever. And it's just like, bro, you you know because no because um so Quintus is uh, one of those type of guys who's looking to get to the next level. All right, um the people that executed him were not his army. They were Praetorians. Oh. So think of like the Secret Service, not the Marines. Got you it. see what I mean? So the Praetorians, they're loyal to the emperor. They're the, bureau the, the, the bureaucracy of the empire. Like they were just a bunch of like um, people from Rome who uh, made money off of protecting the emperor, basically. That, they were literally the Secret Service of today. Got it. I, I just couldn't. You could tell the difference between the, because the, back then, uh, and I got into an argument with uh, with um, someone back in the day. They were all like, oh, ooh, it would be too expensive to uh, to uh, for all of the Roman legionnaires to have red tunics. And I'm like, wait, it wouldn't, it, it would cost too much money to get red clay from yeah. France. Are you serious? The, the In this film, they depict, the, to tell the difference between a regular legionnaire and a Praetorian, they put the Praetorians in black and purple. And the regular legionnaires, of course, wore, wore what would be considered camouflage at the time, which would be red because you wouldn't be able to see them bleed while they're in battle. I I, I, I mean, now that you're explaining that, yeah. But in terms of the movie, because he talks to Quintus, I don't know if you think the same, Rob, but like I, I remember he like kind of like relies on Quintus a lot in that first yeah. battle. And then all of a sudden, Quintus just kind of turns against him. And it's like, bro, like... Okay. I think it goes that to show you like the dedication to the state that some psychos have, I guess, where it's like, well, my job is everything I do. I move like a robot and now my boss is this guy. He tells me to kill this guy. Better do it. My life is only this. Well, think about it, though. I mean, like the guy could be like uh, Commodus could be offered him, um, you know, his like, you know, money, yeah. power. Uh, you're, I mean, literally, he got money and power. I mean, he's the head of the Praetorians after this moment. Rome was relatively corrupt, if I'm remembering correctly. So, I think you're thinking of any yeah. government in particular. <laughs> well, no, but I, I do agree. I do. I think. I think that this movie does capture the hostility 
and the corruption and the like the real face of Rome, even though it's not historically accurate, quote unquote, it does capture the spirit, I guess, of what Rome was like in that time. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's a that's a really great way of putting it. So, I mean, I guess as we move on, like Commodus attempts to have Maximus killed and Maximus escapes, like you said, but like you're saying, uh, uh, I can't remember how you phrased it, but like seeing Maximus travel like 1500 miles, like also gives you a landscape of like what the world was like at the time, which was, and it wasn't, it wasn't until this time watching the movie that I realized like how far Maximus traveled to go home. You know what they do this in this movie too? The Hans Zimmer soundtrack actually oh. paints a cultural picture. If you listen to the soundtrack, it's this Andalusian um, guitar type of thing. Because remember, Maximus was actually a Spaniard, yeah. right? Yes. And and I think it changes as he goes through the terrain to kind of map like the world that we're in. Oh, it's a very wow. little subtle yeah. thing, but it's just a tool in, in filmmaking that just goes to show first of the genius of the composer of Hans Zimmer, but then just the little things that you can do to kind of create an epic scope. Exactly. Hans Zimmer, my second favorite composer. Who's your first? John Williams. Uh, dude, those are my top two. Those are your top yeah, exactly. two? Thank you. Is, so you guys- My top two. I'd add a Rob. third. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to add Thomas Newman as my third. Boom. I think I said this last episode, but I just love John Carpenter's scores. Like they're just so like creepy okay. and fun. Like I'll throw on the things- score you know and play some video games any day <laughs> wait so wait but john carpenter did the scores himself yes it's isn't that crazy oh, wow see wow dude i th- wow mind blown i had no idea okay then i'm gonna hip you to this real quick guys john carpenter has two albums called lost themes of songs he never used in movies that you should definitely check get out. Get the fuck out yeah. of here. Wow. Okay, I'm going to check that out. I have out. them both on vinyl, but we should get back to Gladiator. <laughs> they, uh, the Praetorians take him out, try to execute him. He escapes. Now, I had, uh, when I was at Sir, uh, you know, Vanderpump Rules, this is going back to Vanderpump Rules and Sir. Peter, it's when what I the people are Sir. here to hear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we love there it. Was, we love it. Thank you. When I was at Sir, we had a special guest come in, and nobody knew who this guy was, but um, his name is Tony Curran. Now, if you watch the Underworld movies, he plays um, uh, Marcus. Was it Marcus? Or he plays the the the, the winged um, vampire. Yeah, he plays Marcus in the Underworld films. Well, he's the one, he had a cameo in this movie. And I actually pointed at him and it's like, you're the Praetorian who tried to kill Commodus. He's all, I mean, um, uh, um, uh, Maximus. I, I literally pointed at him and it was like, you were the Praetorian who tried to kill Maximus. He's all like, out of all the movies, Peter, because he, he, his wife was a fan of mine. He's like, Peter, out of all the movies, and I have a picture of me and uh, 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 Jason Fillon, um, when they came into Sir, but he was like, out of all the movies, Peter, you're, you, you know, gladiator, that, that little, that little one liner from me. I was all like, dude, it's like my favorite movie. Wait, ever. so is he the one that's going to stab Mark, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Maximus in the neck? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. I thought he's the one that like Maximus, was like Praetorian. And no, like, no, no, no. It's, it's that guy right there. That's awesome. Yeah. That's oh, wow. really cool. <laughs> That is so but That cool. goes to show what a movie fan you yeah, are. Yeah, dude. You know? Yes, exactly. And he was all like, Peter, I've been in Underworld. I've been, I, I was like, yeah, I know all that, but, but 
Gladiator's like one of my favorite movies, and you try to kill Maximus. <laughs> Rob, like, can you just tell us a little bit about your impressions of Commodus, though? Because we talked about him killing Marcus Aurelius, and and so, but like, can you tell us? A, like, we we should touch on him, right? He's like a spoiled brat, you know, in the best way that you can present that in terms of a rich emperor's son. Um, you know, you, the first time we see him, he's like lounging in a carriage while everyone else is about to like go to battle and die. And right there, that shows you that like your dad is not fighting, but is on the battlefield. He is the emperor. You're the emperor's son and you want like all the glory and you just expect to sit on the throne after him. You just, you get creeped out. You just, everything about him, his, his words are just a little slurry and soft and you just, they do all these little things that you're just like, I do not trust this guy. Yeah, I don't trust him either. But the thing is, is that 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 scene between him and Matt uh, and Marcus. Yeah, I mean that always got me because it's like you know, I, I either Marcus was not a good Marcus definitely was not a good father, and his solution is to give over the empire to some general. Well, he wants the empire to be a republic. I'm not exactly sure how a general taking over will do that, but I think it goes to show you that Maximus respects Rome over war. And I think there's another example of that later in the film when he's talking to Hagen, but we can get there later. Ma Maximus runs back to his home because, uh, you know, he he's escaped, but he, he's traveled 15 hours. But we, we see that the Praetorian Guard or the or the part of the Roman Legion already has gotten Praetorians. There, the Those Praetorians. were Praetorians. And uh they get there and they're you know, he he arrives in the aftermath to find his home burned and his wife and son are hanging from a tree and it's just a heartbreaking moment. I thought they were crucified. They were, were. they crucified? I think they were. Yeah. I don't know. You just see the feet. I remember that's and true. It was, he just kind of ugh, like so hard to watch. It was it was brutal, man, because you're you're kind of like, whoa, you know? And yeah. uh at this point, he he just kind of stays there with his family mourning, and then boom, he gets knocked out, snatched, and snagged into slavery under the under the control of Mister Proximo, who's one of my favorite characters in the movie. Actually, actually, no, they just the, the, there's some slavers that go and pick him up. Oh no, that's right, that's right. And then yeah. and then they end up selling him to Proximo after he like he grabs this guy's balls. Yeah, and and the guy's like all squirming. It's like uh, yeah, because that's how he like that's how you test a good slave. Apparently, is, uh, well, he, the guy the guy sold him giraffes that weren't going to mate. He's like, what do you think I'm going to buy anything from you again? You know what? It's really funny is that the guy that sells um, the, uh, the you know the slaves to Proximo. First of all, he's in the Mummy, right? Yeah. And he's playing the same sleaze bag that he did in the Mummy. So I feel yeah. like they're kind of like he went like he's connected. Typecasting is real. It's really funny. He is the cousin of an actual really good friend of mine. Really? And you met him, Peter. You remember Cheyenne and his brother? I'm like, yeah, on my, yeah like that's their cousin ah. in England. And uh, he's he's in that in those movies, you know? That's amazing. <laughs> One thing that I will say, guys, is um, I think I really like how this movie was cast. I mean, I love that they cast um, Russell Crowe over Mel Gibson. But not just that, I really like... Richard Harris's performance as Marcus Aurelius. Oh yeah. Um, and, but I really, I will say this: I really, really like uh, Oliver Reed. He's such a shit kicker, as Ridley Scott would say, a shit kicker. <laughs> he needed a shit kicker to be the 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 owner of all these uh, gladiators. So should we address the fun fact about Oliver Reed in this? Yes, movie? we should. Yeah, take Definitely. it away. So Oliver Reed died 
during the making of this movie. Um, and they did not finish all of his scenes. And uh, there's a key moment uh, where he, well, I mean, we're going to fast forward a little bit here, obviously, but we'll get to, back to this moment. But they kill Proximo. And that scene where he says shadows and dust, that isn't his death scene. Like that, that was a shot from him actually in the Coliseum talking wow. to Maximus and they really substituted that as, and I think they kind of just colored it a little bit different and they cha- might've changed the background. They might've wrote it out something a little bit to kind of match it a little bit more with what was, uh, and they used a body double as for his back when the Praetorians come in to kill him or whatever. And, and that's how they were able to kind of stitch the movie with this guy dying. But what a catastrophe for the production. Well, no uh, I'm going to add something to I'm going to add something to that. Um, Ridley Scott really wanted him, but the insurance wouldn't cover him because he was uh, wasted all the time. Oh, no. He was an alcoholic. And Ridley Scott had a conversation with him and really was like, look, you can't be drinking on set. Otherwise, we can't insure you. Um, but I really want you for this role. And he was all like, I'll make you a promise. I won't be dr- I will not drink at all unless it's the weekend and I don't have uh, and we're not shooting. And Ridley Scott was like, okay, that's good. Cause he was, he was in, he was straight up alcoholic, needing to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow. But was Proximo an alcoholic too? I feel like he probably, really was. he really would be a, an alcoholic as well. I mean, like you get him in that scene with, um, actually, we'll, we'll we're, we're fast forwarding a little bit, but, um, Proximo in the original script, guys, was supposed to be burying the, the figurines. I the- heard about that. That is Oh, at the end instead of Jaiman Hansu's character? Yeah, Dijman yeah. Hansu. Yeah. Wow. I'm so glad it didn't go the other I mean, I'm I mean, so glad it went the other way because I really like Jaiman's character. It, it, I mean, it sucks that the guy that 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 Oliver Reed died because his performance was so strong, but yeah, I think it worked so much better. Especially given the scene that comes up later where they're talking about the afterlife. It just makes exactly. so much more sense to have it be Jubal. Yes. Especially especially with that not yet line that he says. You yes. Know, that, that, yes. That's such a powerful little moment yeah. in, in, in the movie. So, but, um, so, um, they start training. Yeah. They start training and Maximus refuses to fight. So they, they pair him off with, uh, Jaiman, who he, he meets for the first time. And, uh, and then they get him into the arena and then, and then they all find out that, Oh, this guy's pretty good at what he does. He's pretty good at, you know, killing people <laughs> in the arena and surviving. Remember, there's been a bonding. There's been a bonding with Maximus yes. and, and, and uh, I forget his name. Juba. Yes. Yeah. So remember Juba is, uh, Maximus has a wound from when he escaped and Juba actually puts like maggots on it and stuff like that. Yeah, that clean kill. it and he cures him. He helps him. So you already get an ideal that it, he's like a kindred spirit. And then he also sees Maximus cutting out the SPQR Sentitus Populus K Romanus. Damn, look at look at this historian. Look at him. <laughs> Sent it by the people of Rome. Wow. Guys. This <laughs> is amazing. This is am- I am I am in awe because I knew you were a fan, but I didn't know that you were like a historian. You're like Indiana Jones of Gladiator right now. <laughs> Boom, baby. <laughs> this movie belongs yeah. to the museum. Don't turn to Indiana Jones on me now. <laughs> Guys, I was blown away at that first gladiatorial battle when they're waiting to enter and you just see the shadows and light of everything that's going on the other side. And and the one prisoner of the one gladiator, the one slave is all peeing his pants. Yeah. And, and Russell Maximus has to step away. Yeah. It's so subtle. So Maximus, you know what I mean? Just like, 
okay, well, we might die, but I'm still going to take one step away from this dude's pee. Come on. <laughs> but it's funny because this scene for me when I was watching it really captured what it would be like to be a gladiator. Like, I was yeah. scared because it's yeah. like, dude, this is not... Like, you were going out to, like, God knows what to fight. And these guys were massive, the ones they were going to fight. You know, they, they were big dudes, man. And I I don't consider myself a coward, but I could relate to the guy that urinated himself because I was like, damn, like, what would you do in that moment? You know, like, oh, how would you face that? would be that? me, Rob. That would be <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish, and tell me, Rob, you're the director, so I would love your opinion on this, like... I almost would love to see that scene without the cutaways to the gladiators that they're about to see. Like, I would almost want to stay in the room with Russell Crowe and the slaves and just see the shadows and see everyone terrified and like be sitting in it for a minute. And then, boom, those door opens or those doors open. And it's like, you know, seven foot tall dudes with maces swinging above their heads. (laughs) Hell yeah. I think that, you know, look, we go back to talking about Jaws, that Jaws became really effective because the shark didn't work. So therefore they didn't show the shark for like 70% of the movie, which makes it even more terrifying, right? Because it's the fear of the unknown. And I think that that would have been a really effective tactic in that scene where you just see it through the cracks of the door. Like you said, those shadows and light. And it's you hear maybe the rumble and the and the mm-hmm. steel and all that stuff, and then you just really cap get like the uh, faces, the like facial reactions of the actors, which I I think yeah, it would for me create more of an impact. And then those doors open, you see what you're gonna fight. You're like that creates a more realistic take for me. But uh, that, that's a really good point, Rob. Yeah, we should re-edit this movie. Let's do that. Um, yeah, we probably should. <laughs> we'll get Ridley Scott the Best Director uh, Award yeah, just yeah. like a, a couple of years later. There we go. I love it. 20 years later, your Best Director. God, it's been 20 years? It has been 20 years. 20 years oh, since this movie came out. What? Um, <laughs> so Maximus just starts competing in uh, in, in gladiatorial games. And I've I like one of the... One of the things that I noticed with this film, when he goes out and defeats all of these enemies in like the second time we see him competing in the arena, and we're not even going to get to the emperor uh, re-entering Rome like a conquering hero yet. Were they cheering or not cheering? Like they were like, uh, were they all in awe? And then he was like, oh, are you not entertained? Is that why you're not here? Is that is this why you're not here? Right. I don't. I never understood like why he said that. But you're talking about you're talking about this when he, like when he's already been fighting a while. Yeah, and he goes yeah. out by himself and he yes. kicks ass. He kicks like yeah. six dudes' asses. Like just like and he kills throws six the guys. sword up at the people yeah, drinking wine the, and stuff. Yeah, at the governor. Yes, yes. So I think what they were cheering for the fighting, but then went and then they went quiet. But he's he's to the point where like this is what he does. I think this is my take on it, is this is what he does, and he, like he's just so good at it. But like he's he's doing it for something that is just petty entertainment. Like this isn't a cause. Like he uh, used I see. to do. Gotcha. So that's why he just says this isn't why you're here. Like to see all this bloodshed. Like this is what you came here for. But then this sets up a very key moment, which is where Proximo first notices. This guy could be great as potential yes. as a gladiator. He defies everybody. Like he creates entertainment. Like Proximo sees it beyond just killing people. It's the showmanship, yeah. and Maximus has that. And which that. which he addresses in the next scene with Maximus. It's like, what do you want, girl, boy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm required to kill, so I kill. That is enough. What a powerful line, too. What's your take on this? Like, what, like, what do you think about that? 
Well, I think that Proximo, obviously we would find out that he used to be a gladiator and was freed, but I think that that has been years for him and he has become complacent in what his day-to-day life is now. Uh, even though he is pretty well off for most people in the area. And I think that like seeing that he has a unique gladiator on his hands, someone that he doesn't usually work with, someone that isn't just ready to die, essentially. Or Or someone that reminds him of him. Yeah, that is it on the nose, Rob. And he wants to be able... He remembers when he was a slave and when he was stuck in this situation. And it's I think it's one of those things where it's like, if I can help one person, you know, it's like my life is not perfect, but this is someone who has the potential to be freed and I want them to be free. You think that that's the, the, the free... I think that he's more like, I want to live vicariously through this dude because I feel like he's... Like when he talks about the Colosseum and it being like a storm and all this stuff, like wow. it rises like... A, it's like he wants i feel like he wants to relive that glory and he finally sees somebody that is as great as he feels that he was you know and like he's like damn like i can bring like i think that proximo has been bored because he's like these these slaves don't do shit you know what i mean like nobody fights with the passion that i had the showmanship and now i've got a potential guy and on top of that he like has the loyalty of the other gladiators. Like this is a guy that can rally up a storm. So I don't know. I mean, I, not to mention it could make him very rich. So. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like yeah. it's like yeah. this is. He even says we'll have bloody adventures. So yeah, I don't know. So, I I agree. I I see where you're coming from, and I think maybe it's both, or maybe he's just like I want to relive my life through this kid. Well, maybe it's both because he does change his life toward the end, but at the beginning, it's all about the money for him. It's all about the that almighty dollar. No, it's not dollar back then. It's all about that almighty Roman coin <laughs> the Roman with the green. hole in the middle of it. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so um, I want to touch on a little bit of the emperor coming coming back to coming home. Right. He enters Rome like a conquering hero. Uh, one line that I did catch with him talking to Falco, one of his uh, Senate um, allies, is that he. Is it me or does he think that all the people in Rome were paid for to come out and cheer for him? I hope they weren't too expensive. I got that vibe too. Are you wait? But so are you guys asking if Commodus paid them or if the Senate paid them? If if Falco and some of his other allies in the Senate paid them, because the line that Commodus uh, comes up with, he walks up to the senators receiving receiving him at the palace, and he says, "As for the loyal citizens, I trust they weren't too expensive." Oh, oh. So were they? Were these? Yeah, were these citizens paid for to come out and cheer for him and then they started protesting against him? I think that Commodus is the type of character that since we have seen him kill his own father to protect his own interests, that he thinks everyone's up to something. Even if you are my right-hand guy, like, I know that you still probably paid these people to come here and cheer me on because uh, you make I me see. feel good. I know? also think that you know, we've been, we've gotten a really good introduction to Commodus at this point and the type of man that he is. Because he talks about, when he kills Marcus Aurelius, he talks about the virtues that weren't on Marcus Aurelius's list. And he lists other virtues, right? Ambition. And he talks about ambition and not courage on the battlefield, which you can tell he's sort of a coward. And a, But I also think that, th- this is what I take from him, is that 
even though he's the emperor now and he kind of took it or whatever, he still doesn't feel worthy. Like he, I think that Commodus's main goal as a as a character is he wants to be loved. Period. Like th- I know this sounds a little crazy, but think about it. No, I don't think it sounds crazy at all. I think that makes complete sense. Yes, he I agree. He wants with to you. be loved. He wants to be loved by his father, who who felt that he never had his approval. Right. He wants to be loved by the people. He wants to be loved by his sister. He just wants to be loved. You know what I mean? And and he's just doing it in the wrong ways. And I think is that he feels that he probably doesn't fully measure up. Well, to, oh, to yeah. Marcus Aurelius? No, to, to the position, to Rome, to anything. Like, he's an insecure guy the whole way through. And he tries to get that security by seizing power. That's, that's my take on his whole dynamic. Dang. I... Cannot argue with that, Rob, because it makes too much sense. Like it's, it's, <laughs> he, he does. He doesn't have anything to get guidance from. His father was off to war a whole bunch. His father changed stuff around town that recrafted Rome. I mean, what do you think, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my mind is blown. I never thought, I never came at it from that angle, but yeah, he just wants to be loved. He wants his father's love. He even wants Maximus to love him. That's true. Yeah. That's what he wants. Wow. I didn't, because like, like I kept on, you know, until you said that, Rob, I just kept on thinking this guy, you know, he had a bad childhood. His father was neglectful and he just wants power for the sake of power. No, he wants to be loved. And that comes in the scene when he's looking at his nephew in the bed and he's like, he's so loved. And everyone like took that. Everyone took that scene as, uh, as like him being a pedophile. And that's not what the scene is all about. That scene is him like envious of his nephew. He's so Almost mad to start over. And he's, yeah. He wants to be a kid again and have love in his life. Wow. Yeah. And the I think that he is. Yeah. I think that that's why he decides to say, let's, th- let's do the games, you know, and like Gracchus, I think it's so like, the people oh. love him. It's so that he, exactly. He wants the people to love him. And, and Gracchus challenges him on that challenges him on that because I think that he obviously smells a rat and he also sees that, look, this guy wants all the things that you have to earn in a certain way. Like this just doesn't happen overnight. And he's like, have you ever like, you know, held a a person of plague to your breast or something like that, like, like dying of plague. And, and it was like, Commodus is trying to get the attention of the Senate at this moment. He gets really angry at So like, you can tell that it's like, he gets defensive. Anybody that challenges him on his morality it becomes his enemy. And I think that's why he also hates Maximus and, and enslaves him because he knows that Maximus ultimately is a better man than he is. Like, I think he knows who the better well, people he, are. But I think that from what you're saying right now, Rob, I think that he's looking at it from just a surface level because once Maximus, and we're going to get to that right now, when they come, the, the when, when this gladiator troop comes into the uh, reopened Colosseum because Marcus Aurelius closed it down, um, oh, he he's, did. He yeah, did. he's looking at it from a surface standpoint because all the people love Maximus and they don't love him. That is amazing. That is something I never caught on to. We find that out after what you're talking about here, Peter. Maximus's first battle in the Colosseum, I had completely for I've forgotten that it was like a recreation of a historic battle, which is kind of like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right? And the facts change. <laughs> Right. 
Right, but I believe that Ridley Scott actually was inspired to direct this movie from a painting that he saw of the Colosseum of this sort of battle. Like this, this is what inspired him to do it. Yeah, and they he built that Colosseum almost for real. This is something that what I love about this movie is that. It employed practical effects. Like people don't make movies like this anymore. No, they don't. The epics no. like this don't exist anymore. Like they'll rather coat it with a lot more CGI now to make it on a grander scale than hire the, you know, 300 extras costuming. Or like you just don't make movies like this. And I think that that's one of the things that I grew to love about this movie is that the production value, the 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 epic scope of this movie really shows in these gladiatorial battles. I couldn't agree more. Anyone here been in the army? Yes. I'll serve with you at Vindavana. You can help me. Whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. I loved this battle, guys. Like, this fight in the first Coliseum, like, like hearing... Maximus yell out like the general terms or like the the army the related terms because the orders sorry yeah hearing Maximus yell out the orders of like pillars or diamond or I guess some of these happen in other ones but you see it starting in this fight and it is just invigorating like you you like I don't want to be there but I would love to take orders from this guy you know yeah, what exactly I mean? single column single column yes <laughs> No, and 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 this reminded me of like this was on par for me for like the Ben Hur chariot race. You know, yeah. uh, I know that's a dated movie, oh, but like I think yeah. that this is on par with like the greatness of like this is the key battle of this of this movie, in my opinion. I fucking love it, guys. <laughs> I love that like everyone is so excited, and this is like what you're saying, Peter. They're all you know cheering Maximus. They don't know who Maximus is yet at this point. They're just like cheering oh, on this right. battle, you know, because he hid himself yeah. because he's not. He's worried about people. Someone discovering that he's still alive because Commodus and still he's thinks just he's dead. The Spaniard. Yes, he, he's the Spaniard. Right. Right. That's right. So then, so Commodus so, is like, "Oh, the people like him." Yeah. So uh, I want to meet I him. I should go hang out and get a photo op. Right. Right. He wants to associate himself with the people that are loved. That he, you know, so he can share in the glory. Exactly. I'm giving this to you guys, and you guys cheer me as much as you cheer the Spaniard. And then we come to a pivotal moment in the movie. Like so, so everyone bows, but for Maximus, it's not a, it's not kneeling. It's like looking for a weapon that he can use to kill Commodus with. Yeah, because he doesn't give a shit. He has nothing to lose at this point. He has nothing to lose, nothing to win. And in fact, if he does die, he'll be in Elysium with his family. So why not take out Commodus first? I have a question about this, though. I have a question. Do you think Maximus at this point, all right, so I think about it as char- with character uh, arcs, right? Do you think that Maximus doesn't care if he lives or dies or is revenge right now because he sees this guy and he's starting... Does revenge now become more important than being with his family in this point? I think that I think it's more important to him. Revenge is more important to him because he doesn't care if he dies. That being said, he did meet 
uh, young Lucius Verus, who's Lucius Verus named after his father, who is the son of um, Lucilla. And we haven't even touched on the romantic interest in this movie yet. That's how much is going on in this film. Lucilla, yeah, Lucilla is the daughter and the brother of Commodus and the daughter of Marcus Aurelius. The, the sister of, of, of Commodus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm drinking too much, guys. I'm kidding. Who yeah. who uh, who Commodus is after? Like Commodus, Commodus wants, is after his own sister. Wants his sister ancestrally, which I think is a. I think it goes back to Roman kind of times. Obviously, there was a hint of this, but it all goes back to that Mark uh, Commodus wanting to be loved. Like he wants his sister to love him, even though it's a twisted love. He wants it's a it. weird love. Yeah. Um, he's it's a very Roosevelt love. I yeah, it's part uh, of the reason too why my dad and I didn't really love the movie because we were like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, there are hard points. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa! Time out, guys. Time out. Okay, so taking a tea. Mother son love in Back to the Future is okay, but this is too far. <laughs> this is the line. But but the thing about it is that like in Back to the Future, you know. His mom doesn't know. Like, who the f- who? Why would she even Plausible know that that's her deniability. son? Right, right. And he's at a, he's like refusing it, and she doesn't know it's a, in this movie. Like, <laughs> he's they, just a big creep. He's a fucking creep. He you is. Know, like, he really is. It, yeah. it was you know for early like early night. Well, it was like late nineteen ninety nine. This was a little weird. I, I was like fourteen. 15, no, I was fifteen years old. Six, fifteen, sixteen years old or whatever. I was not. I was not into that. I don't know about you guys, but we I did like, not need this level of confusion in our lives yeah. at 15. You know? <laughs> I think we talked about vengeance and revenge and what is Maximus's motivation now in this moment when he faces Commodus? And I think you're right, guys. I think, yes, he doesn't have anything to live for anymore, but now that it is within his reach, he knows that he can take down Commodus and uh, turns his back on him before he kills him because he wants him to know who he is. He wants to like make a statement, and then when he introduces himself, he takes that helmet off and you can just see Commodus's jaw like comedic, comedically drop to the dirt. It's uh, but it's also a really good moment where you can tell that Maximus still, again, he he defies him at this point. Like he's like, I'm gonna defy you in front of everybody right now because you're a bitch, and I know that you're not gonna <laughs> do anything about it, type of thing. And then when he does take his helmet off. Funny thing, right? This is the moment that Russell Crowe told the writer that his lines are shit and that he's the greatest actor in the world and that he could ad lib like, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. That was the real line and he said it was shit, but he couldn't come up with anything better and yet that line is iconic in the movie. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north. Loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius. Father Father to to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, man. I get chills thinking. I will have my vengeance. I love it. I love that. Because who doesn't love a great revenge story, right? Like, really, who doesn't? Oh, yeah. Everyone wants to see the comeuppance. Hey, guys, do do you know? I forgot because we were talking about Lucilla just now. You know who auditioned for that role? Who? 
I, I don't know Ooh. if you could see. I, I wouldn't. I can't even imagine this movie would have flopped. Angelina Jolie. No, actually, that would have been a good choice. But that would have been uh, an excellent choice. <laughs> J Lo, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, really? <laughs> J Lo auditioned for the role of Camilla. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know if that would have worked. It with, would not uh, have her. Uh, yeah, no. no. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Especially J-Lo. that era, J Lo. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think she's become a hell of a lot better actor, but like at that time it's like, well, is it music? Is it TV? Is it, you know, you're, it's kind of like pop icon. And by putting a pop icon in that role, it just pulls away from everything else that's happening in the movie. No, yeah, no, it or, was, at least in those scenes. No, I mean, I could, I would, me as a director, like I just, I couldn't see, I could see Angelina Jolina because she played Alexander the Great's mother and she was actually really good in that. She was really good. I Even liked I her. I hate that movie, yeah. but. Um, uh, I got a question for you guys. So we skipped over the love interest, but let's take it back to uh, the love interest a little bit here. What is their relationship? The relationship between Lucilla and Maximus. Were they like were they in love before Lucilla became the wife of the co-emperor Lucius Verus? I think that that could be a possibility, but I think that what they established from their relationship at the beginning did they know each other as they were kids? I think yeah, I'm saying not maybe not as what they were kids, but they grew up together. I mean, like look, he has a bond with Marcus Aurelius where Marcus even tells him embrace me as a father. You know what I mean, like. I think that yeah. he's been around so long and he's been so loyal that, and he has so much he's power in terms of being the commander of his armies that, you know, like I'm sure Lucilla grew up to kind of love, love him. Like, you know, she's probably into him, you know what I mean? Like he, and, and she's always had a thing for him and, you know, she's not an ugly person, you know, she's, she's attractive. She's, she's sexy because even in that first conversation with Maximus, you can tell she's, she's toying with him a little bit. Like she's, she's this, she's a powerful woman and, Maybe that attracts Maximus a little bit, but he's he's a loyal guy. Like he's married, he's got his thing. But I think that they just grew up together. I just think that they've known each other for years. You don't years. think that they had a thing? I don't think so. Rob, what do you think? Uh, I, I don't I don't side on that either, but I also could see in a different universe where he, Maximus didn't meet his wife that they totally would have, you know, probably ended up being a different set of royal family. Gotcha. Well, Peter, you should write that fanfic. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to ruin a perfect movie. <laughs> oh, man. He, he looked Guys, at me when he did our, that. When he yeah, said I that, did too. Look he at looked you. right at me when he said that comment. <laughs> Guys, are we on to the second Colosseum battle? Yes, we are. Which, why does this battle happen, Peter? This battle happens because the emperor is trying to get rid of the memory of Maximus. See, Maximus at this point has become a fan favorite, if you will. People are loving him. They are chanting his name now. Mm-hmm. It's not just the Spaniard. They're chanting Maximus. So so to, um, how do you say it? To erase his memory, the emperor has to put on a huge spectacle. So that includes the only undefeated champion in Roman history, Tigris of Gaul. And tigers Ooh. and tigers and a really badass looking <laughs> helmet and a really badass. Oh yes, uh, the, oh the, the, man! You know what? You know what's funny about that helmet? The, so I was watching this movie um, again for the like the three hundredth time, 
um, the other night and, um, you know, to get ready for this, this podcast. And my brother was all like, you know, this is something that I wanted to talk to Rob about as far as like Kajorian character goes. This, this helmet, <laughs> this style of helmet, some kind of cool helmet for Kajorian would be amazing. I, I will <laughs> say. The Riven uh, Destiny, everybody. The, 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 Yes, because, you know, Kajorian in, in the trilogy that I've written out never really wears a helmet. But when we go back to the past where he is a warrior and we see the him in his full element, he's supposed to have an, a helmet that it makes him look almost like a ghost, like a phantom. That's why I chose those glowing eyes and the hood, you know what I mean? To give it that that badassery. I just think that our production budget limited that a little bit. But a lot of people actually say that they wish that he never took off the helmet during the short because they really liked his voice and look and like presence wearing the helmet, which goes to speak to your brother's performance, by yes, the way. Yes, true. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think yeah. that, yeah, we could design something for future iterations <laughs> of uh, the look of uh, Kajorian for this. So I am here Hell for Hell yeah, it. you are. So we got tigers, <laughs> we got we got tigress of Gaul, and we got an epic battle scene with tigers. Man, did you really see that like split 45 camera angle thing you were talking about, Rob. Sorry, I'm obviously not a director or a DP, but like where it looks kind of stop motion. The Isn't yeah, well, called? I mean, what they do is they crank up the shutter speed, right? So for a little little quick uh, film lesson here, if uh, shutter speed is what open and closes the sensor or the 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 iris of the camera to l allow light in, right? And the higher your shutter the choppier your film will look, the lower the shutter, right? The low, the, the less fast it goes, the blurrier your film will look because you're exposing it to more, more light. So what they did is crank up the shutter to make it look extra choppy to symbolize maybe a little more realism and speed, you know, to give it a little more, more, uh, more quickness. And then on top of that, yeah, like escaping exactly. the tiger. And then they added a lot of that camera shake, which makes it look rumbly, but it makes it look like you're in there. I think that in this film, because they were experimenting with camera shake, I think they might have gone a touch a little bit too far on it, right? But now yeah. most movies do this in their battle sequences, and it's kind of like film language. It's accepted now as how it is. But for me, initially, just because I love the films, uh, the, the scenes of Braveheart, which had some camera shake, and stuff, but it was just, it was a little more, I guess, fluid for me. Like these battles, like I, I sort of lost myself in it, but. I I never lost the feeling of intensity, which I think is what they were after. Of course, Maximus wins this fight, guys. But in winning it, he does not kill but tigers. Who, who tells him to kill him, though? In winning, you know, you get the thumbs up, the thumbs down from the emperor. The emperor's like, yo, thumbs down. This The crowd wants this guy gone. And Maximus throws down his sword. And then someone from the crowd this says, Maximus, Maximus the merciful. <laughs> And the crowd loves this guy, which just only further aggravates Commodus. <laughs> Commodus wants a nickname. Commodus wants the people to be chanting for him. But no, now they're chanting Maximus. They've given Maximus a nickname. He's the cool guy at the lunch table. Commodus is lost and again. Commodus is going like, how is it that this slave can become more powerful than the emperor of Rome. And I think he says that at some point, right? Well, no, his sister points yeah, that out. Yeah, yeah. Right, something. right. His right. sister points that out to yeah. Maximus when she goes and visits him. She says, you know, today I saw a slave become more powerful than the emperor of Rome. Wow. Commodus then goes down to have another one-on-one -on -one with Maximus. 
So he goes down. The Praetorian, the Praetorian guard surround Maximus, and the emperor goes down to talk to Maximus. And he eggs Maximus on. He's uh, Maximus says, "I have only one more life to take." And Commodus says, then take it now. Well, he also says, you just, he's oh, like, I don't yeah. know what I'm going to do with you. You just won't die. And I think this just is a mm. testament to my question earlier that vengeance is more important right now for Maximus. Like Maximus is not going to die until he gets his vengeance. True. And then he eggs on Maximus a little bit more and he starts talking about his wife and child, his wife and son. Yeah, this part's rough. Yeah, it was a little rough. You do not speak ill of the dead. That is just a rule, like, in these situations. You don't tell someone, like, oh, yeah, I killed your wife and son. And also, here's some really shitty things you would never want to yeah. hear. Ugh. It was but the so, but, oh, it was clenching But the fists. performance by, by Joaquin yeah. Phoenix... I mean, in the, especially all the scenes are great. Like, I, I think Joaquin should have won Best Supporting for this movie. But in this scene, I mean, he really digs deep and really starts just to like taking that invisible knife and just stabbing Maximus in the stomach with it. You yeah. know, he's like, it's, it's very, very uh -huh. like a sinister. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't know how to how to how to characterize uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance in this moment, but it's just, it's very. Um, he embodies everything we hate. Yes. You know, like. Yes. Any bully, any jerk, any corrupt politician, any just. But it's not even bullying though, Rob. It's more well, like. I know, it's but just what like I'm saying taking, is like, yeah. it's all of these things like involved into everything we dislike. As an audience. Mm -hmm. I forget. Did Joaquin Phoenix get nominated for Best Supporting Actor? Yes, he did. Did he win it, though? No, it went to Benicio Del Toro for Traffic. Actually, he was really good in that, though. No, he yes. wasn't. Stop. I yeah. actually liked him in that. I actually liked him in that. But I think we'll get that to between, we'll get but to between, the, but between the two of them, yeah, I mean, like, I think Joaquin Phoenix deserved it. He, yeah, he, he was. He's so despicable. Maybe that's why he didn't get it because well, he's not just so a, convincingly he's, despicable. He's, he's not just despicable, Rob. He it's more of a um, he's despicable, but but he he wasn't loved, and there's a whole backstory to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So you can see why he's despicable. Yeah, it's a real. He's a really fleshed out character, and he's performed brilliantly by Joaquin. Yeah. Really, Joaquin is. could have I, been in Commodus the Joker back then. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You were never really Commodus. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw that movie. You were never really here or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, we will. It's a very, very hard Joaquin watch. But guys, a plot is now hatched to get rid of Commodus. Correct. Yes, because Commodus is like, he's flailing about a little bit and he's just kind of going a little, a little bit more and more crazy. He's going a little yeah. bit more and more crazy. He's just like going insane at this point because- and Lucilla sees it. Gracchus sees it. Maximus obviously sees it. Sees it. Well, uh, I feel like Gracchus always knew, right, that Commodus wasn't the right man for the job. So I think Gracchus eventually talks to Maximus about the plot. Yes. And, and you know, you can tell that Lucilla's on board and- and and you know, Commodus is really trying to um, now like he's like he sees it like all of the things that he wants right that love that he's seeking from the people from his sister from everything 
it's slipping away from him. And now he's like, well, damned if I'm going to let that fucking happen. Right. They want to break Maximus out. They, his army is on his side. Uh, Proximo, Gracchus, Lucilla, everyone seemed to get this. But unfortunately, loose lips sink ships. And if you talk a little loud, your, your secret's going to get out. Because the little boy Lucius is uh, playing in the Emperor's Palace. And uh, Commodus comes in and asks him if he's playing Legionnaire. And he's like, no, I'm a gladiator. I'm Maximus. I'm going to be the savior of Rome. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Forehead slap moment right there. Yep. God damn it, kid. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> How many times have you guys been in that situation though, where like a kid spills the beans like that? Like that is so a true thing though. That's it's, it's really believable, you know? Like, yeah. Well, I've been in that situation many times where a child spills the beans. But what oh, to God. me is impressive about this though, is that it leads to one of the most like, I don't know. I mean like creepy, impactful scenes. Like that scene where uh, Joaquin Phoenix talks about like he's holding Lucius and he looks at his sister who he's been like trying to just bang the whole movie, right? Like try to possess her. He threatens her with such passion in the most creepy, intense. And it just ramps up even to the point where like Lucius is like freaking out about it with like the, by telling that story about the busy bee, like tell me what you've been doing or like, you know what I mean? Like what have you been doing? Busy little bee. Oh, that that scene is a oh, god. That just cringy, made my skin cringy. crawl. Yeah, cringy, cringy. Really well done. You will watch as I bathe in their blood. And he like when he uh, says that he like pulls Lucius in a little bit more. Like he like can, like caresses his face, and Lucius is like freaking out. He's like crying. He's like, my uncle wants to kill me. Uh, this is why, and this is why I think he should have won over Benicio del Toro because I've seen Traff. What was that movie all about? Drugs? Yeah, yeah. It was, it, I think it captured a real, <laughs> like a real eye-opening take on the drug war, which you know what, you can address it politically. I thought I thought that was a really good movie, honestly. But um, once is enough for me. I think Gladiator is a. I can repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. So yeah. I think that that that's a good that's a good point, Peter. Thank you. <laughs> I also think yeah, distance from reality is also helpful in rewatching and rewatching. You know, because a lot of times you watch a movie to escape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this yeah. happened 2000 years ago, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's it's funny. They cut out scenes from this movie that involved uh like they were feeding Christians to lions and stuff like that cuz at that time Rome was trying to uh, yeah. abolish and like like eradicate Christianity and they cut those scenes out cuz they were like why do we need this? Like, this is too it's close. Like, well, we don't need to show the ugliness of it. Like, we already are. Like, what does this pertain to our story? And I think that those go. That's a moment that goes to show that real filmmaking takes courage in terms of like, yeah, what are you going to hit on your cutting room floor that doesn't advance your story and makes a film great? I think that they did the right job on that. I, I agree. Totally agree. Completely with you. agree. Yep. Yeah. Like that is that is smart editing. Like it might be fun to put something in here. But if it's not needed, get it out. Right. I do it all the time in podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, so we are getting towards the end here, but some super big shit happens. So everything is fucked up about the plan to get free Maximus. You know, uh, people have been tipped off. It doesn't work. And Maximus is, you know, other friends like Hagen try and save him, but he dies. 
And there's one final Colosseum battle that has to happen. Well, and to yes, what's the plan that Maximus, Lucilla, Gracchus, and Proximo come up with? Well, that plan would be that they are going to free Maximus. His army are loyal to him, and so he is going to meet up with them with Cicero, I believe, who was Maximus's right hand right. man. Um, but since they're tipped off, like we said earlier, Proximo gets killed. Maximus's crew try to save him. He escapes, but then he gets caught when he meets up at the rendezvous point, and Cicero is killed. So Maximus gets taken back to the center of town and thrown back into another Colosseum battle. But before that, he has another meeting with Commodus. You get a, a sense that Commodus isn't a dumbass either. Like, and he that yeah. that scene where he talks to—I forget what the what what the guy that he talks to it tells him about—that he knows about a certain eel in the sea that lies. Oh, he was still. talking to uh, Senator Falk, right? Oh. Senator Falk. And 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 that plan just what a great piece of movie writing where you foreshadow a plan. And you're hoping for Maximus to exp- escape, but you already know that this is going to go awry. Yeah. But the movie, I mean, the movie really gives you that lesson. And then they just surround, it's like all hope is lost type of thing. And like Commodus has the upper hand. And again, it's because he is that sort of eel. I feel like it's describing him. He's this dude that's like, well, we'll lay silent. We'll we'll wait for our enemies to to come, even, even take bites at us. We'll give them the hope, and then we'll strip it all from them. And Senator Falco, uh, it's uh, it's uh, since through the art of war without him knowing since through the art of war. Right, right. <laughs> so my question yeah, for you guys, yeah. I like to ask these questions because I feel like you guys give great answers, and, and it's thought provoking. Why do you think that Commodus decides to ultimately fight Maximus? Because in the movie, I feel like they sort of spell it out, but like I really, I, I always wondered. I'm like, well, this guy's been trying to like, he doesn't th- like. How does? It, how would he ever win? I think the first idea is the people love Maximus, so I need to be the new Maximus. And then he sits down and he's like, well, how do I do that? I have to kill Maximus in front of an audience, but that ain't happening. What about you? So then that leads to what we're about to well, talk about. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I, I'm I'm in total 100% agreement with you. He wants to be loved by the people. And the only way that he can become the new champion is to defeat the old champion. Sorry. That's what his whole, yeah. that's what the whole point is. But he has to. And he's also like, well, he's like sucked into this like mentality right. of like what the crowd Yes, exactly. Wants. Instead you of know, what. He can't think outside of the exactly. box. Exactly. He's the emperor. He should be just doing whatever he wants to do. But he's sucked in by the crowd and listening to what they want. And that's the problem. Give people food, clean up their towns, do things like that. That They love exactly. you, but he can't think so that I think way. I'm in agreement with you guys where, yes, he wants that glory. He needs to destroy the image of Maximus. And I think he's realized he has to do it himself because every attempt of him not like, you know, working behind the camera, like the curtain hasn't worked. So ultimately he's got to be the one to do it. But I also have a weird feeling. And I don't know if you guys feel this too, that Commodus is kind of going like, it's gotten to the point where it's either him or me. And like, if he does, if I do anything to try to kill this guy, he's even if he, even, even if I do kill him, 
he'll be a martyr and he'll be loved more than anybody else. Yeah, he says. So if I die, maybe the people will remember me in glory. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he almost thinks like Ah. I may bite the bullet on this one, but I'll be killed in like. I was the one emperor that fought the greatest Maximus and I died with glory in the arena. I don't know if you guys get that. I sort well, of Well, that. Commodus did fight in uh in arena battles. The actual Commodus, the emperor. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah. Okay. He did fight in uh in battles and uh and he was killed in the arena. He wasn't killed actually fighting, but he was uh he was trapped in his um in his dressing room and killed by a servant. Wow. So it's kind of like similar. Yeah, yeah. Before he goes to fight Maximus and and he decides that he's going to do it, like he has a really like like emotionally charged scene with Lucilla where he screams that ep- like iconic line. You want to you want to do it, Peter? <laughs> I'm not going to scream it, but, but am I not merciful? Like that that line. I mean, <laughs> I feel like Commodus at this point has lost it. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of just like it's all or nothing, and he's like because he tells you, "I'm you will love me. You will like he's he's gone to the point where he's like, I am going to take. I'm I'm going to. I'm stripping the mask off of me trying to get the people to love me and I'm just going to fucking take my power and do what I'm going to do with it. Like at this point, fuck all of you. I'm doing what I want to do. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's the case. So. Totally. I'm totally on board with the idea of it being a win-win scenario for Commodus. You know, you either go down in history books as the emperor who fought Maximus or fought in the Colosseum, or you win and you win the approval of your people. But I think he obviously wants one more than the other because he is a coward. And he brings us to the scene where he meets with Maximus just before they, you know, Go up from the underground elevator. Well, yeah. If you guys, if, and I had to explain this the other night to my brother. Um, um, I had to explain this the other night to my brother. He was all like, you know, it would be awesome to go to Rome and stand in the place where all these gladiators stood, and so, you know, look at the look at where the emperor was. I was like, you can't physically stand there because that doesn't exist yeah, anymore. The He's like, is gone. The, yeah. There's no. He was like, well, what do you mean? I was like. The floor does not exist anymore. Whoa. If you look at pictures of the Colosseum today, the the um, Vespasian Amphitheater, it was, it was known back then because it was built by the Emperor Vespasian. Look at this historian, man. Oh, yeah, you have no idea. Blown. Here we go. Yeah. People the are Emperor learning. Vespasian. It was not called the Colosseum. It's called the Colosseum today, but it was it was called the uh, Vespasian Amphitheater because it was built by Vespasian. Um, if you if you go there today, you you. All, it's all mazes underneath. So you see where where all the gladiators got ready, where where the uh, slaves were helping the gladiators, like giving them massages or whatever. There were just different rooms underneath this Colosseum. That's why in this final right. scene, you see an elevator rise up in the middle of the Colosseum. Because but that, that was floor real, doesn't, yeah. Yeah, that was real. That was it real. doesn't exist. There's no floor there anymore. It all yeah. rotted away, but for the wood rotted away. Yeah, yeah. But what does he do? What does Commodus do well, in this moment that is key to, to tip to tip uh, to tip it, everything to his favor? Yes, he stabs Maximus. But but wait a minute! Yeah. Before when we first meet Commodus in that battle sequence, we see him train with yes, Praetorians, I, and he is really good at it. Like he's not, he's not a, he's not. Or he's he memorized, has, the but steps. he showed he's doing it without a shirt on and like like shirt, you know like he's doing it shirtless, trying to flex. 
Right. He's trying to flex, which which speaks to his character. <laughs> but we see that it's like it's not that he's never wielded a sword before. You know what I mean? Like he he can fight. You know, and I think that. He's feeling froggy at this point where he's like, you know what? I'm so angry. I'm going to take this dude out. But like you guys said, he needs a, I'm like, I'm going to ensure that I have a leg up on this one because I'm a coward. A little bit of insurance. Right. Yep. Stabs him behind the breastplate. Can't really see it if you're an audience member. Right. And then he tells him, he tells him strap on his armor so they can't see the wound. Conceal the wound. So he bleeds. Well, so he's, so so he's, he's starts bleeding to, to death. Maximus slowly. starts bleeding out. But like one of my favorite, and this goes back to Hans Zimmer, when they're rising up uh, through the, uh, the the elevators going up, that soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it always, it we got to we got to remember right Lisa Gerard on this one too. Oh yeah, she's her her vocals and all this is just. I incredible. always thought it was Enya as well, but it's Lisa Gerard. Well, it's Lisa Gerard. Yeah, yeah. Woo. Yeah, they've collaborated a bunch, but uh, yeah, no, she's got this amazing vocal power that is just amazing, amazing. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Like sometimes you don't even notice it's happening, but like the music and such just makes the moment, and it just sits with you and gives you a, a an uncomfortable feeling but also like a something's about to happen like something huge and uh we see maximus struggle to fight but still winning the battle or at least defending himself in a way that he's not gonna die from that sword it's uh it's impressive it's it's a cool battle and uh if you see the behind the scenes dvd you see how these actors actually really just went for it on this one like it was it was really cool but one thing that i really really appreciated with this was um going back to the the braveheart movie it was kind of a similar death to me because at the same time as he's trying to fight off commodus he's having visions of going to heaven and opening the door and seeing his family yeah. uh, intercut with him trying to defend himself against the emperor. And we see the, uh, it alludes to the first shot, which was a foreboding of everything. It was like with the hands through the wheat. Like we get that same sort of Elysium feel. And, and it's interesting because we're like, we've come full circle now, which is, which is, did you guys know that yes. he was going to die? Did you think that he was going to die in the movie? I, I actually questioned whether or not he would make it. I think the first time I did question it, I don't think I was, I mean, I was in middle school or whatever, but like, I just don't think I was smart enough to figure out film that way. You know, I'm like, maybe I hadn't seen enough films or something, but like, no, right. I was rooting When I first it. saw this movie, I was, I wasn't sure whether he was going to die or live. I was just in for the ride. And when he, when he eventually passed away in the film, I was like, oh, because and that brought me back to Braveheart. Okay, so he yeah. fights Commodus, and I mean, eventually when he does win, he just like you could tell, like he has Commodus by the arm, like and Commodus just trying to like hit him, and he you could tell you see in Commodus' eyes just the desperation at this yes. point where he's like, I just cannot beat this guy, and and everything that like, he just you see like that survival instinct kicked in or kick in or whatever, and then. Actually, Maximus has him kill himself with his own blade, essentially. Like, yeah, like essentially. He just stabs him through. Yeah. And Maximus finally wins. Maximus does like get a good shot in on Commodus, and the sword goes flying. And then he asks one of the guards to pick up a sword. Quintus again. Yeah. Ask Quintus, and everyone ignores him. Quintus ignores him. No one wants to help him at this point because I think they see like 
what a coward he was from stabbing him in beforehand. It's like, oh, geez. Well, no, and if you're, and, and I think the, the guards there are going like, all right, no, if you're going to fight this man, you're, you're going to at least display some sort of honor, which is, I think, yes, is kind of Quintus's yes. arc. He's realized his mistake. He finally figured himself out. And I think that he's like, no, like, if you wanted this, you're going to realize it to the end. We're not going to step in and help you. And I think that that's a, a key moment for, for the Praetorians and, and, and their, yeah, and Quintus is against Commodus. I'm surprised that no Praetorian stood up to Quintus, though, because that could be like, bye-bye, Quintus, hello, I'm the new uh, Praetorian commander. Which is something that usually maybe happened in Rome, too. Like, remember, no, like, they did. Julius Caesar was I mean, after, after Commodus died, the Praetorians literally sold off the crown to the highest bidder. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Whoa. Yes. Wow. They sold it off, and then, of course, that guy didn't last very long. It went, eventually went to um, about a year later to Septimus Service. Man, you're a Roman, but I feel like you almost like the Roman history as much as movies, man. That's I pretty do. awesome. <laughs> Might have to have another bonus episode, guys. Absolutely. Where Peter just teaches us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd the, sit the guy, in that class. The, the, the one who bought it was um, a guy by the name of Julianus. Yeah, and he was just he was just this rich Roman uh, uh, person, and he just bought the crown. He's like, okay, I guess I'm Rome. I'm the emperor now. You know, <laughs> Julius Julius Julianus. Commodus pulls out another tiny knife. Well, it's the knife that he used to stab to- uh, Maximus with. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought for some reason I thought he just like had these all over him. He's like, well, here's my other Batman knife. Right. Well, my other. <laughs> he was training to become the Joker. You know, like he the Joker. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, baby. He's got to have something up his sleeve. Uh, Maximus keeps breaking out of his Elysium real life uh, situation that's going on that it's cutting back and forth between, and it's like, you know what? Sorry. And as he is blocking the knife. It's almost, it's so it's, of course, Maximus is going to take out Commodus, but it almost feels like Commodus walks into his own blade. Right. A little bit. You yeah. Know, like, I think that maybe he Until knew. it happens, and then Maximus takes that extra right. jab. Right. But I think it's just that, I think that that's, like, that scene serves to me is that Commodus was outmatched from the very beginning. Like, the, the, there was no way you were going to be, beat the greatest general Rome has ever seen. You know what I mean? Like this guy who has fought yeah. all of his life and Commodus doesn't. So it's like, even though you stabbed him, he's dying. Like it was almost like methodical to me how well Maximus fought. Like it was like, this is, this is what I do, man. Like, like you're, you like, yeah, you're really no, like you're not even a challenge for me. Uh, and like, like when he has him by the arm and then Commodus is just trying to hit him and stab him, whatever, like you could just tell that Maximus is almost like pitying him in a way. He's kind of like, bro, like you, you're just not up. You're, you don't get it. You don't yeah. get it. Let's be done with this. And they are. And he finally kills Commodus. And then he tells uh, Senator Gracchus, free my men. Who was imprisoned, by the way. Gracchus is freed at this point. Remember, mm-hmm. they, they captured him, yep. too, in this. Oh, no, he doesn't tell Gracchus. Oh, he, he, he tells Quintus. He tells Quintus, free my men. He tells Quintus to free Gracchus. Right. So he turns around and he tells Quintus as his last dying order, uh, free my men. And uh, it, there was once a dream that was Rome. This will be the final request of the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. There was once a dream that was Rome. And uh, and he turns it over to the, uh, he wants it to be, go back to the people. Which is something that Gracchus challenged him on before when they meet and they're subhatching the plan. Gracchus like says, so once all of Rome is yours, you'll just hand it back to the people. 
And that's exactly what Maximus did because he was a man of honor. He was a man of his word and he believed in Marcus Aurelius and he believed in Rome because he was always loyal, you know? And I think that that goes to show, you know, it. I, I think that's something that we all want. You know what I mean? I think that's also why, yeah, I think that's why Commodus envied Maximus so much because he he had the courage to be loyal like that. God. And then just watching Maximus collapse and everyone carries him out and leaves Commodus's body. Commodus. It's a wide shot. They're carrying him out and just leaves Commodus's body in the middle of the arena. Which to me, this is like the Roman tragedy play aspect of the movie, right? Like this is oh, this is yeah. this is the where Ridley is like, all right, let's make this like the paintings, the Roman tragedies, you know what I mean? Like that, like like almost you know, like 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 this is mythology almost at this point type of thing. You know what I mean? Like I think this was the moment that they gave it that touch. So and then we mentioned it a little bit earlier at the top of the episode, but guys, what's the button on this one? We see Juba with a couple of figurines that throughout the film uh Maximus has used in prayer to speak and care for his family. And he takes those little pieces and he buries them in the same spot that Maximus dies. And he says, um, what is it? We'll see you again, but not yet. I, I I'll see you. I'll, I will see you again. Um, but which not goes, yet. As that soundtrack just picks up that. It's just so good, man. Like I get chills just thinking about that moment. And I didn't say it earlier, guys, but I really, really liked the part because this connects to when Juba and Maximus are talking and he says, you know, my family are waiting for me in Elysium. And Juba's like, yes. And when I die, I know that or he's not afraid to die because he knows that eventually he will be with his family when they die. And almost as like a point of like, please tell me the right answer here, Juba, Maximus asks like, and you'll wait for your family, right? Because he wants the reassurance that like his family is waiting for him. So when Juba's like, but not yet, it means like, we will, I will see you. I'm just not dead yet. Which to me goes to show that it it throws an underlying theme in the movie there where it's like, you know, vengeance isn't everything, you know, like you also should live mm-hmm. your life type of thing. And, 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 and I think that Juba represents in a weird way, like the hope side of everything. Cause you like him throughout the whole. I mean, like yeah, Juba's the most likable character, I think, in all of these movies. I mean, yeah, you root for Maximus, but like, who doesn't come out of there loving Juba, man? Like, he's just such a great that smile that Jimon like is able to push, and and that is just such an aspirational moment towards the end of the movie, where like, yeah, he died and all this happened, but wow, like you know, Rome lives on, like you know, like this lives on, like like we're well, not yet, you know, we still have we still have work to do, and I think that that's a. Maybe the message at the end where like vengeance isn't everything, you know, like like let's move on to this next new chapter type of thing. And and what a what a great ending to it to the film. I will say that that was something that I loved about the movie was the ending. And I'm glad that Juba that uh, Juba was the one to to bury the little figurines of the wife and the son, not Proximo. I don't think it would have worked. With it wouldn't Proximo. have worked with Proximo. I don't you think know, it would have been as impactful. No, it wouldn't have. You know, and I. I agree. It it makes more sense. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to downgrade someone dying, but like, I mean like that, that really like him 
passing away made everything in this movie, I don't know, perfect. It's very interesting how that, that it kind of tied yeah, it did. a little bit yeah. better. And it also set the theme too, that I really like that, you know, the first time I ever saw a movie where the main character died was Braveheart. So for me was, that's why I think that movie also among many things had an impact on me. But I think that you accept the reality of a character where like, you don't know if he's going to come out alive. And I feel like that makes the unpredictability factor of a movie much more interesting which is, I think, is why Game of Thrones was so successful is because no character was ever safe. I think that you get a sense of sacrifice, a sense of fi- finality, I guess. But also, you're like, man, I I mourned this guy. You know, like it, you went on that journey and you feel his death way more because you maybe weren't expecting it because he's been winning the whole time despite him being a slave. Yeah, he yeah you he wasn't you know he wasn't um he it, it wasn't telegraphed that he was supposed to die. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, except for that wheat thing at the beginning. But we didn't yeah, know but that, that we didn't know that we, we, didn't we know. thought that meant life because wheat means life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We wheat did think that. Oh life. my God, Peter, you just Holy blew my mind. Holy shit, man! This one's just a this is a mind blown fest over here. <laughs> well, guys, I can't wait to get to the next mind blown fest. Um, obviously, we keep the movies a secret from the listeners. Exactly. But uh, is there anything else that you guys well, would what? like to talk about before yeah, we close let's, out? Before we, uh, well, Rob, what, what were your gripes about this movie? Okay, so do we really want to get oh, into it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, like, he, he hated <laughs> So my main gripe, like I said, was initially, I think what happened is that initially Braveheart was my frame of reference, okay. and it wasn't. Braveheart and and it and as well as it shouldn't be because Braveheart is a phenomenal movie on its own and its own piece but like I don't think that you know I think that Gladiator is on par in a lot of ways um for me personally maybe you know it's not obviously my my favorite is Braveheart of the two but I think I went in there with a sense of expecting Braveheart and I got something else but it but I grew to like it more and more when I saw it because I started appreciating the emotional aspect of it. I think when I saw it, I was a young 14-year-old kid that wanted more action. Even though Braveheart was packed with emotion, uh, I think that the pacing of Gladiator was maybe perhaps a little slower, a little more focused on the Rome uh, uh, backdrop of life. And like it, it had so many things going for it that I maybe didn't understand right away. Uh, you know, like I don't know. Like I just had more of an immature l- uh, perspective on it and the more that I've grown to see it like the more I've appreciated really what they've done with it and it is it is a work of art and and my t- my my hat tips off to Mr. Ridley Scott. Shelte, what do you think? Loved it when I first watched it. Loved it watching it again. <laughs> I am so glad that I had taken multiple years since I had seen this movie again. Um I you know, you know what one thing I remember watching this movie with my dad and my dad being like, oh, I can tell Proximo's fake there in this scene. And I couldn't, I could not tell, you know what I mean? Like I I didn't, as a kid, as a kid, looking at it now, I could tell and it was really strange for me, but like none of that takes away from the movie. Certain little other elements that I didn't like, there wasn't anything that I just didn't like. It was so much fun. I think I'm with you, Rob, in the sense that like it is hard to get past how creepy and shitty Commodus is at first. But when you realize like that that helps make the movie good, it's like a realization is like, ah, I am 
respecting film in a whole new way. But like once you get over that hump, it's like, yeah, what a what a fucking fun ride, you know? What a great and it made me feel, you know, like some movies like this was fun, but it didn't make me like feel strong emotions. When you know, when when Maximus is dying and they say you can go now or whatever the word is and he's like hovering them. over the ground. Oh yes. I had to like, I legit guys, I didn't like cry, but I had to pause the movie. I was like, Oh my God, that is, I just think that like life experience has made me realize like how much stronger moments are in film. If that makes I sense. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, guys, I mean, I got to tell you guys, and, I, and I'd like to, for our listeners to hear this too, is that I have to say, I feel so blessed to get together with you guys every week to review the movies that we love and, and share in facts and opinions with you guys. Like this has been awesome. And, and to see a movie that speaks so much to you, Peter, that that's awesome, man. Cause it just goes to show the power of the art of filmmaking and movies that they can have an impact on all of us. So I hope that the viewers and sorry, the listeners also have that. And then if you guys do have movies, let us know which ones you love, you know? Yeah. Put them in the form of a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts so that we can bring you what you want. Rob, I completely, completely agree. This is like my favorite day of the week, guys. I love getting together talking about. Same here. So thanks as well. Same here, guys. This has been a real pleasure and a real honor with you guys to, to review all these films. And uh, that is about it, guys. I hope all of our listeners had a great time with us, had a great ride with us. And uh, for Rob and Rob, I am Peter Madrigal, and you were listening to Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. Hopefully we see you next week. Woo!